A quick content warning. This episode deals with issues of violence against women, stalking, online harassment, and contains some harsh language. This episode also drags up a lot of mixed, complicated, and unresolved feelings. So, yeah. While forgiveness is essential to spiritual growth, it does not make everything immediately wonderful or fine. Often, New Age writing on the subject of love makes it seem as though everything will always be wonderful if we are just loving. Realistically, being part of a loving community does not mean we will not face conflicts, betrayals, negative outcomes from positive actions, or bad things happening to good people. Love allows us to confront these negative realities in a manner that is life-affirming and life-enhancing. Bell Hooks, all about love, new visions. I'm ambivalently yours, and this is season two of Rebelliously Tiny, a podcast where each week my co-producer Hannah McCaslin and I invite a special guest to help us respond to one of the thousands of personal questions I've received on social media. In a world that teaches us that strength is loud, harsh, and masculine, this is a place for those of us whose struggle is both impossibly large and rebelliously tiny. Here's the question that inspired this week's episode. The message has been slightly edited to ensure anonymity. I've been undecided all my life about feminism, and it's weird because I'm a girl and I have very strong opinions about the issues. But when I see posts online about feminism that I don't quite agree with, and all the arguments and fights of feminists against other feminists, I rethink it. Do I really want to be a feminist? Julie S. Lalonde, and I'm an Ottawa-based women's rights advocate and public educator. I work predominantly to end violence against women, and in particular sexual violence, intimate partner violence, and stalking, and I train between eight to 10,000 people a year on how to prevent violence against women. Um, and so, yeah, chatting with everyday folks on really uncomfortable topics is my jam. <laughs> Well, thanks for making room in your busy schedule to come chat with us in uh, our glamorous bedroom studio here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honored to be invited. Julie S. Lalonde has an impressive bio. A Franco-Ontarian based in Ottawa, she's an award-winning, internationally recognized women's rights advocate and public educator. If you follow Julie on social media, you'll also see that she always seems to be in transit, in a hotel or at the airport, getting ready to fly to some town or another, educating people young and old about consent and feminism, while strutting the most amazing assortment of high heel shoes. She seems to be working all the time. On the day we talked to her, she was coming from giving a talk in Montreal, and right after, she kindly took a cab over to my apartment to have a conversation with us in my makeshift bedroom studio. 
So, scary online feminists. <laughs> They're a thing. Um, as an online feminist that I hope is not scary, um, I also want to just straight up say that that's not the case for all women who are organizing online, not all feminists who are organizing online. But call-out culture is a really huge part of the online world, unfortunately. And it is absolutely, I can totally see how it would be like a scary deterrent for people. Um, where you think, if I don't say the exact right thing, or if I don't seem the most legit, then I'm going to get piled on by people. Uh, and that's really scary to think about. And it's also, to me, not productive. Um, because it should be a sort of a core value of feminism that we're all learning, that we all have our own positionality, that we all... Um, are just trying to create a safer world for everybody. Um, and so we should create space for people to make mistakes. And we should also not assume everybody has bad intentions, which is something that I find really frustrating. So I can totally see that if you're not part of that world and you're trying to, it's like two people doing like skip rope at the same time, you're like, do I jump in? Do I not? Am I going to get smoked in the face with the skipping rope? Like I can't, like, I can totally see uh, how that would be like right scary to get involved in for sure. I mean, is this something that you've encountered a lot? Um, like this sort of, like you called it earlier, like cannibalistic kind of feminism online. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's not just online too. Like I think it's, it's easier to see when it's online because there's literally like a transcript of like these fights happening and there's like documented evidence. But I mean, anyone who's ever tried to organize on campus or anyone who's ever sat in a women's studies class or anyone who's ever worked for a feminist NGO will tell you that, like, that struggle is real. And it's, it bums me out really, really hard. And it's, I've definitely been, a, like, targeted for it, for sure, um, where people either take something out of context, um, particularly in social media, where, like, until recently, you literally had 140 characters to make a point. Um, so obviously nuance is kind of impossible to capture. So people like take a tweet out of context or people um, take something that was said like facetiously, literally, or, and then it just becomes this like total pylon. And then anytime you try to defend yourself, you're seemingly kind of contributing to the problem because you're seen as like digging yourself a bigger hole or like doubling down or tripling down on something um, rather than actually just trying to clarify what it is you were saying. And so... I've absolutely had like tweets taken out of context, for example. Um, I've been misquoted in the media, and then instead of coming up to me and being like, is that actually what you said? People just like take the quote and run with it, and they're like, see, Julie's the worst, and she's awful, and she's no, no, no. Instead of recognizing that like this is not a live interview, like it was quotes that were taken and put in a written article. So, like, maybe there's some. Uh, yeah, and it. I can say, I mean, I've been doing this work for 15 years. Every single feminist I know who has left this work, without exception, 100% of them, was because they were burnt out from the infighting. So women who work in, like, the violence against women, who work in the shelter movement, who work in rape crisis centers, who are not burnt out from hearing stories of trauma, who are not burnt out about, you know, their clients not doing well, they're literally like, I can't take going to one more meeting where someone yells at me. Um, and... To me, like, yeah, it bums me out and it also bums me out that we treat it as inevitable. Like, we just kind of, I think there's a real kind of sense of apathy about it sometimes whenever I bring it up where people are like, yeah, that's just how it is. I'm like, no, that's a choice that we've made to, like, allow these environments to fester, um, to assume that social media is inherently going to attract call-out culture. I'm like, doesn't have to. 
I mean, I look at your art, right? Like you're using social media to like create conversations, to put nuance, to like bring people together, to have these complicated conversations about feelings. Like that's happening on social media. So like if we can have that, why can't we just like give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes? And to me, it feels like there are people who just sit around waiting for you to make a mistake so they can pounce on you and be like, see, you think they're great, but they're the worst. And I'm like, how's that productive? Like, how is that productive? And yeah, to me, it's born from two things. Like one, we just assume everybody has bad intentions except for us. And then two, we're burnt out from the work. And instead of just saying like the patriarchy bums me out or like I'm angry that I'm constantly experiencing discrimination at work or like I'm angry that I have to go to work every day where dude bros are like I feel like me too has gone too far like instead of us acknowledging <laughs> that's bumming us out we're like actually Stephanie is who I hate because Stephanie's the worst like I'm like no you're angry at the patriarchy and like we don't want to acknowledge that the work is burning us out because we feel like that makes us bad activists or like um that we're letting the patriarchy win if we acknowledge that we're burnt out um but instead of acknowledging that we lash out at the people around us and that creates like a serious toxicity and I think of it as like peeing in the pool <laughs> like people who just like show up and pee in the pool and ruin it for everybody else mm-hmm. and so in this case yeah if you're an outsider and you're like I don't want to be a part of that like everyone looks so angry and mean and they're not welcoming and like if I don't have all the right answers I'm not allowed to be a part of it and that bums me out because we're going to burn through people and like who's going to replace us like I want someone to replace me and I'm not going to facilitate that if I'm like snapping at everybody all the time because they're not as good as I am or whatever yeah I mean I definitely get that sometimes like once I received a message from someone on Instagram being like does your feminism include trans women and I was like yes she's like good because I haven't really been paying attention to your page but I just wanted to make sure so when you say, like, taking things out of context, it's, like, if you, if that's really what you want to do, if your mission is to be, like, a call-out feminist online, at least, like, do the work. Like, research the person that you want to call out, make sure you have the right information, and then go for it if that's what makes you feel good. But don't do lazy call-out culture. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so awful, and I, like... But I can totally, like, nothing about that surprises me. <laughs> I have never in my entire life seen quote-unquote call-out culture be productive in the advancement of feminism. Um, and not only not productive, it's not, it's not even a neutral. It's actually destructive, in my opinion, because every time these things happen, not only do I get, like, demoralized and feel like I don't want to do this work anymore, so you're, like, losing out on the labor that I'm providing, but, like... Haters love it. Like, haters love it. So recently when all of these, like, older white feminists came out and said that Me Too went too far, I had to do countless media interviews with journalists who were, like, gleefully, like, stoking the fires of this conflict, who were like, Margaret Atwood, you said Margaret Atwood isn't a feminist? I'm like, I never actually said that. I said that, like, her politics are shit. Um, And then she wrote an op-ed being like, am I a bad feminist? And now you are delighting in, like, this generational divide of, like, this young woman fighting it out with Margaret Atwood. So, like, that's not someone who's invested in the advancement of feminism. That's not someone who's invested in creating space for survivors. That's, like, people who just love to watch women fight with each other. Things like, you know, cat fights and, like, women can't get along. Like, you're perpetuating all of that crap. And so, one, I don't want to feed into that. But also, like, I don't need the patriarchy if I'm being 
crapped on by the woman sitting beside me. Like, truthfully, I don't need abusers to discourage me from doing this work. I don't need hate mail in my inbox if every meeting I go to, some woman is, like, trying to take me down the whole time. And we're on the quote-unquote same team, right? Um, So it's not just annoying, and it's not a neutral phenomenon. Like, I think it's actively destructive to the progress of the work that we do to allow this to go on and then to act like it's just part and parcel of doing the work. Because it's not. It's a choice that we make. Yeah, and I think that like the truth is is that so much of it is just rooted in internalized misogyny. I mean because yeah, we are harder on each other. And like and I get it. Like I know that feeling of when you look up to someone or you follow someone and then they say something that you don't agree with. It could be disheartening. But I think that at the same time we have to keep finding ways of like talking about these things in more yeah in more nuanced ways like maybe off of social media maybe talking about like talking to each other in person or over the phone like having like longer conversations because like subtweets don't really solve any of these fights and I think it's also important to understand the difference between like calling out and calling in um you know, you can easily just call someone out on Twitter by, like, screen capturing their tweet and not even really engaging with them. And But instead of doing that, you could also, like, contact that person with a direct message and, and like, say, like, hey, actually what you're saying maybe made me think of this or that or have you considered this? And then having, like, a conversation. So that way you're not approaching someone where they're immediately, like, defensive because they're being attacked. And I feel like there's a lot more that can come out of that. And it's really hard to express these really complex ideas through all these different mediums that we communicate now. You know, you can read, like, a million feminist theory books or queer theory or whatever, and still, like, these issues are really complicated and they're hard to understand so to expect people to all be experts on it and to even like people that write all these books that we read even they like their opinions change over time and so we're holding each other to these like impossible standards which like you said I find also really disheartening totally and for me like how we combat this problem is like just shattering the idea of perfection like I am not personally a perfectionist in anything that I do, like, at all. Like, the, I, do, I see people who are perfectionists and I honestly feel feel for them because it feels, like, so stressful to be imperfect. Like, I'm not, like, my stuff is sloppy, my work that I do, but part of it is, like, because I believe in collaboration and, like, for me, oftentimes we become, like, immobilized by perfection. So as organizers, for example, people won't organize an event or they won't put out a product unless it's perfect But then we're like immobilized by this perfection. But if you actually believed in collaboration, if you actually believed that like that artist is on a competition with me, we can both succeed, then like I will put it out there and then hope that you pick it up and you'll tweak it a bit more and then someone else will pick it up and they'll tweak it a bit more and then like eventually we'll end up with something that's like really great and and inclusive or whatever. Julie and I had been following each other on social media for a while when one day in late summer or early fall of 2017, she sent me a Twitter DM asking me if I knew someone who could help her with an animation project. A few months later, we launched Outside of the Shadows, a five-minute video 
available in English and in French, written and narrated by Julie and animated by me. In the video, Julie shares her heartbreaking personal story of being stalked for over 10 years by her former partner, and shares useful strategies for those who might find themselves in similar situations. Like, and part of the perfectionism and why it's a problem is actually something that I learned from Jessica Valenti in her book Sex Object, which was a really important book for me because I read it at like a really important time. But one of the things in it that like, honestly, I had to like put the book down and just be like, holy, like it just like blew my whole world apart was when she's talking about her experience of backlash, which is like a, my life is like I get death threats all the time. I get hate mail all the time. And she was like, you know, for a long time, I wouldn't acknowledge that these things impacted me because I felt like I was letting them win. And I was like, that was my jam for years and years and years was like, if I acknowledge that it's upsetting, then I've let them win because they're trying to upset me and I'm not going to give them what they want. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction. But then she said, which is like, to me, so important. She was like, I, and if that's the case, then like, I don't need them to dehumanize me because I've just dehumanized myself by denying the fact that I have emotions and that I'm a human being who's hurt by things that people say that are intended to hurt me. Um, and I think about that a lot and not just in the context of like backlash and trolls and like all of that stuff, but even my own supposed colleagues, like my own allies who, you know, think that I have to do, one, I have to do everything. And if I'm not doing everything and I'm not doing it perfect the whole time, that I'm like a shitty feminist who doesn't deserve to be doing this work. And that, yeah, like if I maybe quote unquote disappoint someone because my view on something is not what they expected, then I'm like a letdown and like, oh, we can't work with her ever again because like her view on this is no, 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 no. It's just like, well, like, I'm, I'm a human being, like, so we don't always have to agree on everything, but, like, do we have core things that we agree on? And that, to me, is, is important for us to really challenge, is, like, that idea of perfection. And feminism is, like, dogmatic. Like, I'm not religious because I don't believe in dogma. <laughs> right? So it's, like, I feel like a hypocrite if I'm, like, I don't believe in being dogmatic about anything, but, like, if you don't follow my exact version of feminism the way exactly that I painted it, then, like, you're not welcome at this club. It's, like, well, that's not productive, and, like, how am I to go into workplaces saying, like, diversity is important, not just for, like, PR purposes, but for perspectives. Like, you need different perspectives to help your organization thrive. I think our movement needs different perspectives to help us thrive. And that can mean that, like, we might not see eye to eye on certain things, but that doesn't mean that my work is not important and your work is not important. And I think, for me, that last piece, too, is around, like, competition and, like, what I call crab bucket feminism which is like, I see you succeed. And instead of being happy for you and like proud to know you, I feel like I have to take you down so that I can take your place um, instead of feeling like actually we can all succeed. And the example that I use all the time in my work when I'm working with young girls in particular around like the competitiveness that we're encouraged and socialized to participate in is like Beyonce and Nicki Minaj's Feeling Myself. I don't know if you know that song. Yes. <laughs> and the video. <laughs> And, like, for me, it's, like, such a perfect metaphor for, like, Beyonce and Nikki should not be friends. Mm -hmm. Like, in our culture, they are two women at the top of the same game. Like, they should not be friends. They should be, like, constantly writing diss tracks and, like, constantly shitting on each other. But, in fact, they're, like, not only out and proud about their friendship, they, like, literally wrote a song and made an entire video of them, like, in a bouncy castle eating burgers, just being, like, we're friends and it's amazing. And so, to me, I, like, think about that all the time of, like... First of all, what would Beyonce do is always just, like, good advice to, like, follow. <laughs> but also, like, the idea that, yeah, like, if Beyonce and Nikki can recognize that, like, we can both support each other and both encourage each other in our careers and, like, push each other to be better and not be in competition, then, like, what excuse do we have as, like, grassroots feminists to be like, no, there can only be one of us who's mm -hmm. doing this. And, like, if 
it's her, then it means it can't be me, and therefore I have to take her down to take her place. And then, like, we don't, we're not actually getting anywhere. Like, and then it discourages people from taking up leadership positions because it just seems too scary because you feel like you're alone and it's, like, a matter of time before someone takes you down. And, like, oh, it's so exhausting. When I'm just like, there's so much work to do. Like, yeah, I mean, we're, like, not even springtime and it's 2018 and, like, in my province in Ontario... Like, 15 women have been murdered by their current or former partners in Ontario in three months. Like, I got work to do, guys. Like, I got some serious work to do. Like, I don't I don't want my energy to be zapped by going to meetings or going online and seeing that, like, yeah, I'm being subtweeted by someone who's, like, mad at me for something. Um, that maybe there's some legitimacy there, but that ends it. We're not even opening ourselves up to being open to that because we just get defensive. And I've totally been guilty of that. Like, I've absolutely been guilty of the fact that, like, because I get so much gnarly, unsubstantiated, not helpful backlash that when something does come through that's actually like a call in, I don't see it as such. And I just get pissed off because I'm like, here's one more person. Right. So it's like it makes us all prickly instead of being like warm and open and like looking out for each other because now we're just constantly waiting for the latest call out. Um, and that's not a healthy way to live at all at all. Yeah, because it really, yeah, it burns you out. And because, like, like you said, like, just the work, like doing feminist work or any activist work in itself is exhausting emotionally, physically. And then, yeah, if you feel like you're constantly bombarded or you're constantly, like, you know, people are just waiting for you to mess up, it just, it makes it that much more exhausting. And I mean, I, but I get it, like, the competitiveness thing. I get it. Like, as an artist, online, posting work, like, sometimes I'll see other artists who are doing way better than me, or my perception that it seems like they're doing way better than me. And I get those moments where I, like, I'm jealous, or I, or I feel like a failure, or both. And then I try, and the way I've found to, the best way to cope with this is to, like, redirect that energy and just be, like, really happy for them, and write nice things on their page and just be like really excited for them because going back to what you were saying before I think the only thing that can really save us from all this is collaboration like finding other people to collaborate with finding our people people that we can trust people that we that we could have these hard discussions with um like different different kind of people than those that we grew up with or those that we see in our everyday life who have different perspectives so that we can share these different perspectives and like learn from each other instead of trying to decide like who understands feminism better or who can quote this theorist better but to just like talk about it and acknowledge that it's hard but like do it together and the process of making the Outside of the Shadows video with Julie was fulfilling and a true testament to what can happen when collaboration goes well. We understood each other's visions and our skills complemented each other well. Collaboration is a huge part of my practice, but it's not always this seamless. Collaboration is often really hard, especially when working within social justice spaces. There are a lot of intense emotions that go into anti-oppressive work. We often come from different backgrounds. We've suffered different points of oppression, and we have different philosophies on how to move forward. While it can be really inspiring to be in a room full of people who share similar interests and concerns, 
there will always be disagreements, miscommunications, and misunderstandings. It's unavoidable. I mean, one of the reasons why you and I got to know each other is because we collaborated on our project, or your, your project outside of the shadows. And for me, that was like such an exciting thing because what we were doing was kind of a scary thing to like to put something out there that we knew was going to get a lot of attention but the fact that we were doing it together for me made it a lot first more fun the fact that we could like bounce back ideas but it also made it feel safer to do it with somebody else um and even like doing the podcast the fact that I'm doing it with Hannah and not doing it by myself just to have like another person to bounce ideas off with I think is really helpful so I think like one of the things that we can like to counteract maybe to answer the person who asked this question is like find people to do this work with so that you're not like feeling isolated especially when you get attacked like find people to put things in perspective for you and be like no you're not a horrible person yeah <laughs> like you're yeah. just human yeah and like you know, women of color have, like, phrased it as, like, shine theory, right? Which is the idea that, like, when you shine, I shine. It doesn't take away from my shine. And for me, that's, yeah, that's, like, it's hard. It's a struggle because, yeah, like you, I mean, I'll see someone get an opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm in my 30s and I've never had a permanent job in my life. I've always hustled for contracts. I've never had vacation days. I've never had whatever. So, yeah, I've definitely had people calling me out about something and they're, like, working a nine-to-five job and I know they're making good money and I'm just like, yo, man, like, I don't have... Like, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got, right? And I'm just like, ah! So, but instead of being, like, pissed off that that person is coming from this, like, that has more privilege than I do, just being like, okay, well, how can I collaborate with that organization to maybe, like, take a little bit of the load off for myself and instead of being mad at them because they have funding and I don't, just being like, hey, how can we work together? And yeah, I mean, I, I made a film about my experience of surviving stalking, and it was terrifying. <laughs> but I was like, I can't, one, I don't have the skills to do this, and two, I don't, like, I, I don't, I just don't know that I can put this out in the world by myself. And so, yeah, like, collaborating with you is like, here's a film about this, like, the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But it was like, I felt like I could take that risk, because it was like, there was someone there to be like, no, this is great. And if the whole entire internet says it's garbage, there's like one person who's like, well, I think it's great. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's just so important, but it's hard because I mean, I work with kids as much as adults and like, we're so socialized not to have each other's backs. Like we're just so socialized. I mean, still the, the things that I heard when I'm growing up, I still hear in elementary schools where girls will say like, oh, I'm not friends with girls because they're, like, so dramatic. I'm only friends with guys and, like, I just can't be friends with girls. And and that they're, like, applauded for that. Like, being like, oh, I know, women can't get along. And, like, no, no, no. And I always just, like, make the joke that, like, every single world conflict was born from a guy just being drams. So, like, first of all, like, every world war, like, every everything was just someone being drams and wanting their way. But we can combat that, I think, in small ways, which includes, yeah, like, to me, concretely, like, if you're sitting there being like, I want to be a part of this world, but it scares me, like reach out to artists that you really like, reach out to someone whose tweets you really resonate with, reach out to like your favorite person on Instagram and just like send them a message to be like, Hey, like long time listener, first time caller, like love your work. Just want to let you know. And like, you don't know where that's going to lead. Um, and that's like a huge part to sort of like dismantle that. And also just like, yeah, reach out to somebody. Don't think you're re- you're creating something new. Um, Cause chances are, you're actually not like chances are there's someone who's doing something that's like adjacent to you so maybe work with them instead of being in competition with them 
And yeah, don't view other people's success as a reflection of you being a failure. Like you have a different path um, and there's room for all of us to succeed. Like there's absolutely, and there's room for humanity. Like let's have some humanity. Like people make mistakes. People have different perspectives. People have gaps in their knowledge. Um, and I want to create a movement where people are open to learning about different things. And that there's like a, just like an openness to that. And I think it also combats ageism and the idea that like you get to a certain age and you're like incapable of learning new things. Like I think all of that is just like really great to just think about like we're all like collaborating on this one big project together, which is like making the world safe and fun. Um, and so like we need more hands, not fewer. Like there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> and like more hands make for like less work. So it's just like, I want more people in the club. I don't want a smaller club. In the words of Audre Lorde, as women, we must root our internalized patterns of oppression within ourselves if we are to move beyond the most superficial aspects of social change. Now we must recognize difference among women who are our equals, neither inferior nor superior, and devise ways to use each other's difference to enrich our visions and our joint struggles. To me, feminism is a team sport, like full on. Um, and so, yeah, it's not, it's less scary than yeah, like, I have, like, put out into the world the scariest thing I've ever done because I was like, oh, this incredible artist is here to have my back and, like, believes in what I'm doing. And so, like, I have someone to land on um, and this whole thing is said and done. And so, yeah, if you view feminism as a team sport, if you view art or whatever those things are as, like, inherently collaborative, like, it, it doesn't even occur to you that you could ever do it alone, then, like, it's, it's far less scary. Um, and... Yeah, we're challenging to me. It's like you're really sticking into the patriarchy. I think everybody hates the competitiveness. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody I think is having tiny versions of this conversation privately about like, I wish why didn't people weren't constantly nipping at my heels. Like I think even the people who participate in colo culture hate it. Because we all need more healing. Um because the world is harsh. <laughs> yeah, I mean I had a really particularly awful experience about four years ago now where I was training cadets at the Royal Military College. Um, and I was harassed while I was there and then I came forward and it became like this national news story and I literally got hundreds of emails and so many of them were like detailed death threats and just like awful, awful, awful things and I would go through my inbox and it would just be like, you're awful, kill yourself, you're terrible, I wish someone had done this to you and then like one person that was like, hey, saw you on the news, that sucks, keep it going, your work's important and then like four more like your garbage and then one person that's like I was in the military I believe anything you say it was awful I got your back like and so when I say to people like reach out to people it sounds hokey but I mean it literally is the reason why I'm still doing this work mm-hmm. like if complete strangers hadn't taken time out of their day to like google me to find the best way to reach me to like be like hey what's up then I wouldn't know that there's like kindness out there and so I've really really clung to that and so I now try to like put that into practice or like if I see other people just like just slaying it. I'm just like, you're amazing. Your work is amazing. Keep it up. And not just like if I see someone being attacked, I come to their defense, but also just like if I see someone's work I admire, I'm just like, hey, don't know if you've been told this already, but like you're amazing and like you are valuable. And it takes two literally two minutes. In our day and age, like if you can see someone being called out, then you can also see a way to contact them. Mm-hmm. So it's like really easy to get in touch with people nowadays to take two minutes out of your time. And I think if we did that, we would really dismantle the idea that like women are inherently incapable of working together. That like feminism is inherently competitive. That's inherently toxic. That like there's an expiry date on people's capacity to do this work. And like everybody gets burnt out. That's just how it is. I'm like, no, 
that's not how it is. We're not talking about, like, building a bridge in which there's, like, limitations of, like, brick and mortar and, like, engineering of, like, oh, that actually physically can't be done. Like, we're talking about relationships. So those relationships can change. And we can create a space where young women see the work and get jazzed about it and, like, want to identify as feminist. And they're just like, yeah, I'm a part of that. I absolutely am a part of that. I'm proud to be a part of that. Instead of this, like, hesitant, like, should I jump in? Should I not? Because then I'm associated with you people and I don't want to be associated with that because that looks awful. And Like, no, man. Like, I want people, I want to be replaced. Like, I want tons of people to come up behind me and want to keep doing the same work. You know, one of my my sort of theories behind my work, like, I embrace ambivalence and I look at feminism always, like, through an ambivalent lens. So always, like, looking at everything I love about it and everything I hate about it at the same time because I find that that leaves me a lot more room to change my mind and to grow. And I think that's really important to always, like, to le- to know that what we think now is, like, the absolute truth. We might not think this in three years. And if I think of how I thought when I started this work, like, six years ago... I mean, the core values are still there, but a lot of the nuance is really different. And I think to leave ourselves room for these things to change, like the more we talk with other people, the more we we read, the more we learn, especially with the internet and information being so readily available. I think it's it's like an ongoing work. And I think we, we can't look at it as like, if we get to this, then feminism is done. Like we're done. Like we'll never be done. Or maybe one day, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's like a process. It's like ongoing. Totally. Yeah. I, I was having a conversation with this incredible woman. I'm going to give her a shout. Her name is uh, Jane Bailey. She's a feminist um, law prof at the University of Ottawa, and she does work on cyber feminism. She's, like, super badass. And I remember having this conversation with her um, about how I was, like, yes, people took tweets out of context and just, like, flamed me and... It was just so, like, bananas, and I just was, like, hurt by it, but also just so confused, because I'm like, is this, it's just, this feels like it's about something else and not about this, and, like, I don't know what to do. And she's such a great, yeah, she just was like, yeah, that's one of the great things that I loved about getting older, is that, like, I'm comfortable being, like, I changed my mind on things. And so she was like, there's, like, core issues that I was, like, really strongly in favor of, or, like, approaches that I had to things, and now I'm just like yeah, I've heard different perspectives now and, like, I've different... So, like, I'm good to just be like, yeah, I don't think that way anymore and I don't feel the need to beat myself up over it. I don't feel the need to, like, apologize a thousand times about, like, how I was so wrong in the past. She's like, that was my truth at that point and now new information has come my way and so she's like, I don't see why people can't... You know, your perspective was something that they hadn't heard before and so that pissed them off but, like, maybe if they sat with it, they would be like, oh, actually, maybe I wasn't... 100% correct in my position or like maybe there is more nuance here and so I'm like that's great but I'm like that shouldn't just be part of aging right like we should just create an environment that's like open to learning all the time right and like you said I mean years ago I was told like if you have a dream that you can achieve in your lifetime like you're not dreaming big enough and so like the idea that yeah like I just got like five more years of feminism and then we're gonna solve rape culture and like good to go like that's not (laughs) how it's And, like, yeah, you can have mission-based things. Like, I have mission-based, like, practical things that I'm trying to achieve. But the idea that, like, oh, I'm out of school, so now I'm no longer learning. First of all, that plays into, like, older people who are racist or transphobic. And people are just like, well, they're old. They're not going to change their ways. And, like, they're still being harmful. So, like, actually, they are still harming people, which means they should be able to change. So I think we, like, challenge that assumption, too. But just, like, I love learning new things. 
and like anytime I've ever felt really stuck where I'm going to conferences and I'm seeing all the same people or like my social media is all like I can predict what everyone's gonna say or whatever that's when I know I gotta like shake things up a bit so like I'll go to a conference or something I don't really know about or like I'll ask people like what recommend a book that like of a genre that I've never read before that I would never even think to read and then like just kind of push myself because it's really easy to be complacent and then to create that like club of like everyone in my club thinks this way and if you don't think that way then you're not part of the club instead of being like oh that's interesting let's like consider that right um and yeah part of that is like be open to learning new things and different perspectives and where people are coming from there's room for all of us Mm -hmm. that's my short answer to their (laughs) seeking of advice is like there's room for all of us and that includes if like the only feminism that you see is like toxic please don't think that's all of it like that's just what you're seeing that's what's floated to the surface but um there's like yeah I mean I have because of the work I do I have the pleasure of meeting all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life and like there's feminist church groups there's feminist book clubs there's feminist economists there's feminism in sport like there's there's places all over the place and the people that are nest like that you see like they're not a reflection of everything and social media i think is inherently toxic in many ways because it's encouraging of call out and just like snarky 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 responses all the time um but also go offline too like mm-hmm. find those spaces and offline spaces too like you said there's like you're forced to have that human interaction um, and then it's way harder to just like dismiss someone and be like you're garbage and like walk away. But there's room for everybody and like nobody is benefiting from the toxicity. And so I respect people who don't want to get involved. I do. Um, but then to me, the alternative is like, okay, we'll create whatever space you have, make it feminist. If mm-hmm. you don't want to join the existing game, you don't want to join the existing club, then like start your own club um, and make the space that you're in feminist. Cause like we need you. Like, we need everybody to be on board. Yeah, or, yeah, even if you're just, like, doing a night with your friends where you just, like, talk about feminist issues amongst each other and you don't share it publicly. Like, that in itself can be a really radical and empowering thing. Or, or like we were saying, like, write letters of encouragement to the people that you look up to or who are doing the work that maybe you don't feel you have the energy yet to do or that you're not ready yet to do that's still something you know stuffing envelopes doing dishes like raising money for shelters like doing all of those like helping to plan take back the night marches like that's that's what feeds you then cool go there do that like even though it seems like all the cool feminists are like doing cool stuff online like if that's not your jam you're still welcome because there's still a thousand other jobs that we need people to fill right like if you look up to someone and they're doing this one thing you don't have to do the same thing as them to be as valid or that your work to be as valuable you can do something completely different um yeah and that can just be personality too right like if like people see the work that i do and they're like oh i could never do the work that you do and i was like i know that there's like a compliment in that but it's also like it's just a different personality like it's my job to speak in public and maybe you're like that sounds terrifying (laughs) but you're like i'm a really like i'm a terrible fundraiser i suck at raising money i suck at asking people for money i hate it like i have no finesse i'm just like give me money like i can't (laughs) or i'm like could you maybe could you but like there are people who are like that's like their incredible talent right or like they're really good at like building websites or they're really good at like like those are skills that our movement needs like Mm -hmm. i yeah 
I have an idea to make a film. I could write a script for a film. I can tell you all the stats that you need, but I don't, I can't animate a film. So I'm like, I'm going to find the person that does and we're going to like play off each other's strengths and like, that's fine. Right? Like, um, and so like how was, instead of just being like, oh, I wish I had those skills or like, oh, well, I can't draw. So I can't be a part of this process. Instead, it's just like, okay, well, what can I contribute? Mm-hmm. What makes me feel comfortable? Yeah. There's not one way to do activism, which means that the snarky, you know, pitbully kind of stuff that you see is maybe some people's jam, but that doesn't mean that it's all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, none of that appeals to me, that's okay. Because I also know tons of people who are painfully shy or for whom that doesn't appeal to them because they're all about feelings and like bringing that sincerity to the work that they do. Well, like I got 10 jobs that you can do too. So like you are also welcome to join. Mm-hmm. It's important to note the context of this conversation. Hannah, Julie, and I are three white women. While our experiences may be relatable, they're not necessarily universal. Our relationship to our feminist feelings, to fighting, and to being the feminist killjoys in the room is different than the experience of many women of color who are too often prematurely dismissed as being too angry or too much because of racist assumptions and stereotypes. When we talk about trying to find common ground, trying to find ways of not fighting with each other, and trying to get along, it's important not to confuse that for the kind of getting along that is preached by white feminists. Or in other words, feminists who have a blind spot when it comes to issues that affect those who aren't white. We don't have to homogenize and erase parts of our distinctive stories for our movement to be strong. We can hold each other accountable for our actions, and we can do the work when we are called in and called out and try to understand what we didn't understand. We can acknowledge our blind spots and try to correct them. It's also possible for us to support each other in this process, to learn to forgive each other for our mistakes and to learn to channel our anger towards those who are the root of it. We can learn to seek more context before we make up our minds. We can remind ourselves that so much of what we share online is fragmented and taken out of context. We can learn to see nuance, to read the whole story instead of just skimming the headlines. And we can learn to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We can learn all of these things, but it's an ongoing process. We have to also learn to not take everyone's stuff personally. Yeah. Um, Yeah, to take breaks sometimes. Yeah. Take breaks, watch Queer Eye. Yes. (laughs) And like just bring... Yeah, project and encourage the kindness that you are seeking out. Like, you know, bring that kindness, whatever that looks like. Um, and seek out other people that are doing that and, like, create that space. And just think of it as, like, yeah, it's your clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And, like, what kind of vibe are you setting in your clubhouse? Yeah. And really come back to that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be a part of your project. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. You can learn more about Julie's work at yellowmanto.com or on Twitter at Julie S. Lalonde and yellowmanto on Instagram. You can learn more about the Outside of the Shadows project at outsideoftheshadows.ca or Outside of the Shadows project on Instagram. Rebelliously Tiny was written, produced, and edited by me, Ambivalently Yours, and co-produced and co-written by Hannah McCasland. The music is by Greg Barkley. 
This episode was recorded in the field and at Obero Artist Run Center in Montreal, with technical support from Stéphane Claude. A special thanks to the entire team at Obero for their kindness and support. To learn more about my work and this podcast, please visit ambivalentlyyours.com or follow us on social media at RebelliouslyTiny on Instagram and Facebook, at RebelliousTiny on Twitter. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit an anonymous question of your own, please send us an email at RebelliouslyTiny at gmail.com or email us an audio recording of your question. You can also DM us on any of our social media accounts. If you would like to support our podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to make a financial contribution, please email us at rebelliouslytiny at gmail.com. This season is entirely listener-supported, and we are eternally grateful to everyone who shared and contributed to our Kickstarter campaign in the fall of 2017. Thank you.